Mark. Yeah. Ing. Yeah. Bird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Mockingbird. Everybody, have you heard? Have you heard? He's gonna buy uh, me gonna a buy. mockingbird. <laughs> and if that mockingbird don't sing, he's gonna buy me a diamond ring. And if that diamond <laughs> ring won't shine, he's surely gonna break his heart of mine. And if that's why I keep on telling everybody, hear me now and understand, he's gonna find me some peace of mind. I don't really know how the rest of that song goes. I'm yeah, just I was surprised <laughs> you knew that much of the lyric. That's why I thought it out. Is that what the movie based on? Yeah, that scene from, uh, that from Dumb, and Dumb. Dumb and Dumber, yeah. Ah, I thought I knew that. Yeah, I thought I recognized it. Weird, yeah. it's old. Yeah. yeah, Harper Lee was a time traveler, and she like went to the future. and uh, she Harper Lee was a woman. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A time-traveling Jim Carrey fan. Harper Lee legit is called Harper Lee, but her first name was Nell. Nell Harper Lee. But the thing is, I don't know if like she dropped the Nell part to like be like, yeah, she'll sell better, you know, like a lot of these like because yeah. it was someone else. I feel like another very famous like author. I mean, was, was it T. S. Eliot, or whatever? Or T. S. Eliot, a woman? No, not T. S. Eliot. <laughs> uh, George Eliot. I know. I I think I know what you mean. But like another writer who used like a more male pen name. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, man. Fucking, you know what it is. Fucking shit. Um, fucking Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson, yeah. <laughs> the F is actually Shirley. <laughs> Shirley. <laughs> Welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast. I can't, I, I can't really fucking do it. I can yeah, already feel it. I'm surprised you went that far. We're in a vulnerable spot. Yeah. This, if last week was two, two sweaty boys... <laughs> Talking about oh, yeah. I'm still sweaty, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Two very sick boys. Yeah. Talking about to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> How you doing, Phil? We're, my, we're gonna kill this thing. Mockingbird boy. <laughs> my, my mocking boy. Uh, my boo radley boy. <laughs> what a twist. Um <laughs> 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 like an M. Night Shyamalan movie out of nowhere <laughs> the best thing the best thing is like I'm only assuming that you're thinking it's a twist that it was Robert Duvall all along <laughs> that was the first thing to pop into my head not any of the like the bullshit none of it with, mad. not any the of the bullshit pop, like with, with I was like you know boo <gasps> Robert Duvall. Oh shit, dude! Robert Duvall. It's a young Robert Duvall. <laughs> oh oh my god, that's insane. Um, <laughs> everybody should feel very lucky that we're even recording. Yeah. Because yeah. we've <laughs> we've we've had we've both been sick um, in different ways. Yeah. Um, you got caught with a flu-like thing. I have you no think idea. It's like a shitty cold. Bastard cold. Like Bastard cold. One of those that left you running around the, naked, hysterical yeah. in your apartment, <laughs> yeah. shaving your beard. Shaving my beard when I didn't want to. I could yeah. forgetting my towel going to the bath. 
Um, yeah. yeah, no, all sorts of shit, man. Yeah, and it's like one of those I was talking about earlier because I couldn't really like, I don't know, it's, what is it, debilitating cold. Like one where mm. you are in bed and yeah, you can't get the fuck out. Yeah. Like, it's not a functionable cold, like where you can actually like go about your daily life and do things and you just have a sniffle mm. and maybe sneeze or something like that or like shitty throat or something. This is like, nah, dude, you're fucking in bed. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and I've had I've had a stomach bug since like yeah for the last four or five days, and it's just been it came with all the things the stomach bug would would come with, and it sounds much funner than I think it is. Oh, it's horrible. So if you hear me, like I'm I'm getting better, obviously, but like my stomach is still churning quite a bit. Yeah. Um. So. I'm gonna have kind of a hand on it most of the time. <laughs> and if you just hear me like go, that's just, that's just more my process of like. Yeah, it's you know, not like any of the like frustration. A, when I get over sudden like, shooting pain. You know, racism in the world or anything like that, you know? It's just. No, not really. Because, you know, because I understand it. <laughs> Do you now? <laughs> you know, in this movie, I mean, it's like, oh, they're poor. That's why they hate people. Okay. Now I understand. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it's not okay to shoot birds. Yeah, don't shoot birds. Blue Jays are fine. Yeah, I mean, Blue Jays are... Don't do it when we were watching it. Like, what the fuck a Blue Jay ever do? Like, why is it okay to shoot them? Blue Jays <laughs> like, are kind of assholes. Like, I don't know if the it's south. just because like you, you guys don't really have Blue Jays around here. You don't fucking know. Um, no, but like Blue Jays are don't. pretty prevalent in the South. And uh, yeah, they're fucking horrible. They like mm. will literally just come out of nowhere and start attacking your pets out in the yard. Like oh, your cat, shit. your dog, whatever. They're just bastards. Okay, so shoot yeah. those. Yeah, fuck Blue, Blue Jays. But they are beautiful birds. So it's it's crazy. You know, you get some really gorgeous birds. Mm. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, Tell me. In Virginia. You're, but you're an experienced bird watcher. Mm. What's your favorite Virginian bird? Do you uh, get well, mockingbirds in Virginia? This, I, I, maybe. I don't know. The state bird is cardinal. So the cardinals are... Oh, yeah. The cardinals. Nice. Really nice. Red What red team's birds. named after cardinal? Yeah. And you get... Uh, Louisville? You, know, you also get the Orioles. Orioles. Uh, I've seen mm. Oriole in Danville before. Are there a Blue Jay team anywhere? Yeah. Toronto. Like Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. Good Although, team. I, I don't know. Are there Blue Jays in Toronto? Don't yeah, know. that seems... It's got to be, right? I mean, be. if they have the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Eagles. The Eagles. Yeah. Yeah. The Ducks. The Ducks. Anaheim Ducks. Anaheim yeah. Ducks. The Mighty Ducks, please. <laughs> put some respect please. on it. <laughs> yeah. Put some respect. You've, you've put some respect on Emilio Estevez's name. <laughs> Dude, he doesn't even... The Mighty Ducks. He doesn't even put respect on it. He's like, fuck this show. I'm fucking off. <laughs> yeah, he's like I'm anti-COVID or something, yeah, and then like, he just left. I don't want, a, I don't want a vaccine. Fuck you, Disney. <laughs> yeah, that show wasn't great anyway. Just stick with the, yeah. the the third film wasn't good. No, let's not even go there. Because he's not even in it, you know. Like he's like the lawyer. That it's more like Killer Mockingbird than you know, than <laughs> yeah. Mighty Duck. It's very yeah. confusing. Courtroom drama, D2. just like in the middle of D three. <laughs> it's really weird. D three is such a strange film. <laughs> we should talk about it one day. <laughs> like what a weird end to that trilogy. You know? <laughs> to the champion trilogy. 
<laughs> I, I just refuse to talk about anything that we actually the subject of the episode. Sorry. Well, it's kind of funny because I've you got me going on birds. I've, I've put a like a whole episode together, and it, like I feel like I re- like barely talk about the actual film itself. <laughs> so it's like we've right. already covered so much. We covered and I did the it this with the woman. Yeah. We covered that Robert Duvall is in this, <laughs> yeah. and that is, that you should shoot as many blue jays as you as you can. Yeah, yeah, it is okay. Atticus was right. It's, it's okay. Atticus yeah. Finch was right. Yeah, he's a good man. Uh, Atticus. Atticus. <laughs> Atticus. <laughs> when I was a kid, yeah, I was gonna. That's a lie. I was gonna be like, when I was a kid, I used to think that, like, you know, they were s- screaming Atticus, 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 and I was just like, like oh. man, he really likes to kill a mockingbird, doesn't <laughs> he? <laughs> He's bank robber, the huge mockingbird fan. <laughs> Mocking heads. Mocking heads. <laughs> uh, they all just walk around pretending they can't use their left hand. <laughs> <laughs> Finding dolls and watches on the street. Taking everything they steal from banks and just stuffing it inside of like fucking trees. <laughs> just knots and trees. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, you know, we're both delirious here. And like last week, Last week's episode literally should have been what we should have put out, you know, for this week that we're recording for instead of recording while we're sick. But like, yeah, we, yeah. we like did it all wrong. I don't even remember why. I think you I was took just, another week. Off. Yeah, I took a week off last week because I was a bit stressed out about like, re- I don't know. It was like we were having trouble finding time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I had to go to like South End to film something as well. Exactly. So I was just had, like, and we had an extra in the bag. So I was like, all right, fuck it. We'll put out, I'll put out Anderson versus Anderson. It's like, you know, relevant. We're showing it at the cinema. Um, and yeah, it's something that we discussed even in the episode is that like, hey, people actually, you know, seem to have liked Anderson versus Anderson. So we were trying to figure out like if that was an entry point for a lot of people. So um, yeah, I got a little bit of user feedback. <laughs> So our greasy boy Finn, shout out to Finn. He said, uh, "Not so greasy boy." He said, "So Anderson versus Anderson actually got me into both directors, and now I've become a huge." Oh, we've got a definitive answer here from someone. Is he an Anderson guy or is he an Anderson guy, Phil? Who do you think? I reckon he's an Anderson guy, but. Yeah, he says, I've become a huge Wes Anderson mark. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, get the fuck out of it. <laughs> he said, uh, Asteroid City really worked for me more so than French Dispatch in Grand Budapest. I so, agree. I agree. Uh, Darjeeling is definitely my favorite. There you go. This dude, and we're on the same wavelength. I too long for him to return to that way of filmmaking, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Also, I noticed that the subtitles got cut off when I, was saw, it, when I saw it at uh, the Picture House as well. What the fuck? Yeah, same thing. <laughs> what the hell? What's he screen that that was? Although I, I think it happened at our cinema as well. I think it's very easy with Wes Anderson films because I remember it happened on like in maybe Grand ratios. Budapest. Yeah, because it's always weird, fucking with this unused ratio. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, I was speaking to um, I think with Connor at work, and you telling me about there's a theory online that Wes Anderson is dead. <laughs> 
he's not he's not even alive. And that an AI had been making his movie since like Grand Budapest onward, hence why they haven't really like evolved or changed that much. And there's something like, you know, I'm not saying that's true, but if that turned out to be true. But what about the photos of him like appearing places? Yeah, fucking like Photoshop, not a thing. Like fucking those like deep fake Pope pictures didn't fool everybody on the internet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Got you. I got you. <laughs> I and mean, like, in on it, dude. All right. All the actors. All of Hollywood, everybody. All of Hollywood. It's a, it's a, I'm just saying, if it turned out to be true, yeah, it wouldn't be the hardest thing to believe. I feel like if anybody in the cinema you'd need to not talk to about these things is Connor. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like yeah, something he would fucking talk about as he's like in the middle of like looking up some really expensive like Italian like Cuban shirt or something like that. Yeah, that's you know, true. Like <laughs> that is the thing. And playing Pokemon. Uh, uh, we also had a last-minute new person pop in, and it's always nice to hear from new people. Uh, I don't, you know, Instagram's weird. This was via Instagram. I actually, Phil, I actually took a step to like promote the episode for. Oh, did uh, you go on Threads versus Anderson? Not into it on Threads, but I, I actually posted on Instagram and Twitter for the first time in ages, and nice, I was just nice. like, oh, here we go. Um, yeah, so it was this guy named Danny P, I guess. Uh, T Bickle at T Bickle 2011. I hope that's Travis, Travis Bickle. Bickle. Travis Bickle. Uh, he says, I was listening to the pod today, and you mentioned that the Godfather would work better if the young Vito scenes took place first and then the Alpacino scenes happen after. Mm. There was a version on TV years ago called The Godfather Saga which had the films in chronological order with additional scenes. And I remember there Whoa. being a lot more on Hyman, in, uh, Hyman Roth in this version. And Phil, I tell you what, this I've shit's crazy. This. I feel like I'm having this weird like thing like where I kind of remember hearing about that years ago. Mm. But the thing that's crazy is this episode... I got up at six in the morning and I just start plotting the episode out because I had doing it fucking last minute because I've been ill. And the kid who plays Dill, John Megna, he would go on to play like years later uh, when he was a little bit older. He played a young uh, Hyman Roth in the deleted flashback scenes in The Godfather really? Part Two, And he like basically there was a whole thing of him coming up and he was just like, you know, you know, Robert De Niro's like, oh, like, you know, who is this guy? Is he's cool or whatever? And, uh, you know, his pal was like, yeah, yeah, he's cool. I can vouch for him. And then he's just like, so what's your name? And he's like, Hyman. And he said some fucking crazy last name. And he was just like, oh, we're going to have to do something about that. Uh, that it's like, you know, who who's the one person you really, really like? And he said somebody, Roth, Rothstein. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. I like that. We can work with that. We're going to start calling you Hyman Rothstein. <laughs> like that was that kid from Yo. fucking to kill a mockingbird. That's and I was crazy. like, that's insane. So like, it's funny when I got that message, I was just like, dude, that's insane. That's the only connection <laughs> Yeah, with the Godfather. So it's weird. That was a really weird thing to bring up, uh, especially when we were just yeah. mentioning Hyman Roth. Cause I was going to talk yeah. about that anyway. That sounds really interesting. Like, that's crazy, the kid is in it, but, like, I want to see this version of The Godfather. 
Yeah, he sent a um, IMDb link to it as well. So there's like it actually has a page and everything where it was like shown together as like. So a TV it's Godfather Two recap with extra scenes in chronological order, or did yeah. like a whole? I did like one and two. The Godfather saga. Yeah, so it's parts one and two re-edited oh. together in chronological order with additional footage added. That's seven hours and fourteen minutes long. <laughs> let's show that. Let's do that for an all nighter. That'd be am- no break. That'd be amazing. Yeah, so it was shown as a mini series, and oh, I guess man. over maybe two episodes. And the first part, actually, yeah, it would have been Young Vito, and then it would have gone off to like, wow. yeah, I love that. All right. Well, thank I'm, you. I'm assuming it's Danny P. Danny T. Bickle. Thank you. That's awesome to know. We'll try to check that out at some point. But uh, also, it's just awesome to hear from someone completely new. Like, I don't know how long you've been listening uh, or how long you've been following us, but it's nice to hear from people. So if anybody out there who wants to, um, you know, hit us up, who's never hit us up before, say hi. It's always nice to hear from you. It's nice to hear that people are actually listening to to us as well. We we frequently talk about how you mentioned it on the episode with Dan with like, it's weird. Just this is weird. Mm. Talking into a, an abyss and pretending people listen. So yeah. It's nice when people do acknowledge that they do listen. So you're yeah. like, oh, okay, I'm not going crazy. <laughs> I'm not like Boo Radley over here. Yeah. <laughs> Bored around, crazy. shoving stuff in trees, <laughs> stabbing my dad with some scissors, being locked up in a courthouse basement or something. Oh, man. These fucking people, they're backwards. We uh, also got a little shout out from our pal, George Summers, who stopped by to thank us for his Bono episode for Starter for 10 as well. So oh, uh, yeah. Did he that's over there on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. So if you want to support us in our ailing times, <laughs> you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. Bonus yeah, episodes are out there. Yeah. I hope you liked it. We had fun with it. Yeah. I mean... We kind of went off. We on mostly that a just kind of went not crazy. on the film with the yeah. title. Then, yeah. Well, we started talking about another film. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like fucking, that's like the charm of out of your league. The charm of this podcast is it's like us doing anything but talking about the actual film. Um, yeah. Hence, well, where we are hence now. Hence, where we are now. Yeah. Well, Phil, you know, sometimes, you know, when we're thinking about this film, if we actually want to get into it, you know, sometimes people don't. Break the wall! (laughs) (laughs) 
Last week, we were stuck in a hot, sweaty room in New York City. Well, not last week, the week before last. Uh, and we were with 10 other men trying to decide the fate of some poor kid who may or may not have killed his father. Jerry was still out on that one. But <laughs> we had to get out of there because there was a Atlanta Braves game that I was like really wanting to get to. So we just decided to like split town before, you know, the jury even came to a conclusion. Mm. And, you know, however, on the way down south to Atlanta, we took a wrong turn. And we ended up in Alabama where we were immediately arrested because we were found out that we had skipped our jury and APB was put out on us. And yeah, we mm. were fucked. And our punishment was that we were going to be placed on another fucking jury trial. <laughs> it's like fucking Seinfeld, man. You can't write this shit. Yeah. <laughs> and the weird thing was that, uh, you know, we were sent to the jury room to deliberate after the trial, and they insisted that we watch a film before we even spoke one word to each other. And what film was that film? To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> no, I had to push the gas down to get it out as much as stupid as that is as much as i was reading about like the real life town that this place is based on and how obsessed they are with to kill a mockingbird now that i feel like they actually would probably make a jury do that now everybody everybody <laughs> they completely you know just like turn this whole courtroom into like a complete like museum to this fucking yeah. book and harper lee's just like in her dying Stand years up. her dying years was just like fuck this <laughs> like like they tried to, missing the point they tried to sell a cookbook called Calpurnia's like cookbook oh, or something no. like that with all these recipes and shit and she she was just like no 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 stop 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 <laughs> someone asked her if she was serious because one time she said she wished she had never written the damn thing <laughs> she said yeah but no but yeah <laughs> you know I bet it's like one of those towns like where fucking like James Dean was born yeah you go there and that's like their thing you know what I mean like yeah they have they throw a festival every year they have like a lookalike competition they show his film <laughs> you know they have a museum they have like plaques everywhere you can go to his parents house yeah know, they, it's like a shrug it's like this is their thing <laughs> so they're gonna get as much out of it if they can, even if it's kind of not what the thing is about <laughs> yeah. at all. There's probably a few like fucking good old white boys down there who would just be like, you know, come on, let's do a reenactment. <laughs> They're like, why? <laughs> be like, so we could dress up like Klansmen. No, what? No, no, no. I mean, uh, I mean, regular. Folk. It's a good. It's a good story. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's good. You learn a lot about prejudice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, six-year-old, which is fucking crazy. This girl's definitely ten. Scout Finch, played by Mary. People Badham. were older. People were older back then, dude. Played by Mary Badham, uh, and her older brother Jim, played by Philip Alfred, live in sleepy Macomb, Alabama. 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 <laughs> dude, how much better would this have been? <laughs> Fuck. If like Boo Rally if was come with the lawyer, I'm not a <laughs> smart man, but I know what racism is. <laughs> no, he should have been Boo Rally. Yeah, yeah. yeah just walking out, just like 
stupid hip, stupid dumb. Yeah. You, just hand, you just keep handing people chocolate. So, she taught me how to hang, and I taught her how to dangle. All right, so they live in sleepy Makem, Alabama, spending much of their time with her friend Dill, played by John Magna, and spying on their reclusive and mysterious neighbor, Boo Radley, played by Robert Duvall. <laughs> when Atticus Gregory Peck, their widowed father and respected lawyer, defends a black man named Tom Robinson, played by Brock Peters, against fabricated rape charges, the trial and Tangent events expose the children to the evils of racism and stereotyping. It's the 1962 legal drama written by Horton Foote and directed by Robert Mulligan. Phil, hot takes out the gate to kill him. Hot, and they will be hot because hot fuck in Alabama. Did that bit when they're going to the courthouse. Did you know they're just blocks of ice outside the courthouse? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, people just pick and have their own. They eat it. (laughs) That's insane. I think Harper Lee was living like that up until, like, she passed away in 2016. Apparently, she didn't have, like, you know, phone, computers, mobile phones, like, air conditioners, nothing. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Nothing changed. Have you seen the play? Have you seen the production of this on in London right now? Yes. Yes. Well, it's not on anymore, but um, yeah, we actually kind of ended ended our last episode where we both were like, oh yeah, we could talk about that. <laughs> okay. So we will yeah. talk, I, forgive me if I like compare one or the other, um, because that was my first exposure to Killer Mockingbird. Mucking, to, to yeah. I have the book, um, not read it, but I have now seen the play, the Aaron Sorkin play. And now I've seen the Gregory Peck film. I don't know if I need to read the book. <laughs> like I've seen very two like quite exhausted versions of it. Um, but I would still like to, because I think it's a yeah. very good story. Um, I mean, it's not really a courtroom movie. I was like, this is a weird choice. I, I didn't, the, I didn't think there'd be so, again, not really the play with a little more, it's wrapped. It's more wrapped around the case, whereas the film kind of stops to do the case toward the end. But the whole thing is more about the kids. So, yeah. Although it's even more so the case than it originally was going to be, because I think it takes up about fifteen percent of the book, whereas it takes about thirty percent oh, really? of the film. I wanted more of it, but and like what it, how much it means in the film is good and obviously very uh, iconic and gregory peck actually like was like hey let's cut down these kids scenes (laughs) and give more to atticus yeah that's (laughs) too much could that want that fucking the clothing statement by gregory peck and it's all done in one shot yeah it's incredible he did that in one take dude no he fucking didn't (laughs) (sighs) really good dude yeah he's amazing it's it's amazing and you can see him getting like really into it really upset He's he's fucking brilliant in this. Yeah, so it's a little surprising in that regard. And that did not, because that's my shit, right? That and the film does it really well, like him sort of picking apart all the witnesses and sort of the truth slowly being revealed through sort of the witness testimonies, and then him giving the like, and then it's still not going his way. Like it's so heartbreaking that movie. It's so upsetting. 
every bit of it because it's not just obviously the man on trial, Tom Robinson, being horribly victimized. Like everybody in that room is a victim of something, whether it be poverty or prejudice or ignorance. Mm. And I think the the story does that really well, both in the play and in and in the in the movie. I thought that came across really well, and I like. I like that it's all kind of told from a child's perspective and juxtaposing all these, like a child boogeyman with like hometown, like small town racism. I think it's really good. I think it's a really nice contrast. The idea of they big up this thing in their head to be terrifying. It's just a person. It's the (laughs) same thing with all these people. And like there's so many moments that like really like, really got me like the fucking lynch mob scene where like he's standing guard of Tom at the jailhouse and the fucking mob come and they're like, step out the way Atticus. They're like, and they're, they're going to kill him in that moment if they don't. And the fucking kids show up and they kind of save him. Yeah. And then the little girl scout, like being like, Oh, Mr. I forget his name being like, I, I remember you. Don't you remember me? Your like, Walter's you daddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you tell him I said hi? And it's like, you gave us corn that, and it's just like, you realize in that moment, and it's done so well that like, why he's there, and why they're all there. They all have significant problems, they're all off the back of, you know, the crash, and they're all poor, and they can't pay off their bills, or pay for food, you know, the guy was paying off Atticus with fucking nuts. And it's like, that's what they're angry at. It's not about this fucking case, man. They're just all taking it out on these, like, people who are already below them in this society and it's just it's horrible like i love that line Atticus, and it's like you know i have great pity for her but not to the point at a man's you know at the stake of a man's life and i yeah. really like that no i think the movie's great it's just it wasn't a, it's a lot more focused on that aspect and i realized it's a lot more about the kids running around and their adventure and that's well done it's very like stand by me in that essence but yeah some of me were just like, when are they going to get to the court? <laughs> when are they going to get to the yeah, court case? It and is I, more of I a coming-of-age story wrapped inside yeah, of a, a courtroom drama. Yeah, Because that is what I think most people remember about To Kill a Mockingbird. And like, yeah. there's something that's so poignant. Like, it, it was nice, again, sorry, I'll keep comparing, because like in the play, I remember when they read the verdict guilty, they make all 12 people say it. And I thought that was really effective. Like you have to keep hearing it over and over and over again. Yeah. But I really liked in the movie, the moment where um, this fucking segregated crowd in the, in the balcony with the kids, like all the black folk from around town, like all standing up as he passes through and there's no like acknowledgement on his part. It's just, it's just a moment. And I really like that. The, the same thing both times. I was like, this ending is weird, huh? Like, I don't, like, it's just, it feels like the movie ends and then it just does a really weird thing at the end where you have a girl dressed as a ham <laughs> yeah. being attacked by a person in the woods and yeah. then being, you need it. Obviously it ties everything up and it resolves yeah. themes, but then also like it leaves you with that weird, you know, we talked a lot about lot last time about like the fragility and its integrity of like the American court system. And this one shows it's failing. Yeah. Right. Like he is found guilty. Well, and he shouldn't be because it's ridiculous. 
he's clearly innocent. And then, you know, he doesn't even make it to an appeal. And then the person ultimately responsible for that is taken out in another way. And they just sort of ride with it, which is fine, fine, you know, like, you know, at first Attic is like, well, we should go to court and do the thing. And like, why punish this person for essentially doing a good thing, right? It'd be a sin. It'd be like to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. And that's lovely. But it's just like, you're left with this thing that's really like, I don't know. It's like, kind of uh, fucked up though as well. It's kind of like conflicted feeling. The with, sheriff like, is, is just like, yeah, we could just, he, he fell in his life. He fell in his life. Like we could just let this one go. It's yeah. just like, is it, <laughs> it, is it just like justice is something you can, you can still find in the world, even if it escapes the court system. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Or is that just like, it's just, it's like, it's an appropriate ending because it's not like 12 angry men where, you know, that doesn't always happen. That doesn't usually happen. Even in that case, that probably should have happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like in this time, it doesn't know. And there's no solitude. There's no peace to be made for him and his family. But like, you know, it's one less evil in the world, I guess, by the end of the thing. And I guess it's more about the lesson team still. And yeah, so, yeah. Know, there's just so many layers it's to like, it. Like, yeah, watching Scout growing up is yeah. really interesting. It's like life isn't really fair anyway. So it's like you. Life isn't fair. Yeah. Yeah. And you um, really like get it from this story. It's great. Yeah. Sorry. Great story. I mean, I To Kill a Mockingbird really is, is something I had to read in school. And then mm-hmm. uh, I feel like, got it. Probably every kid in the South, it's like part of the curriculum. Um, but then obviously watch the film as well, probably in school and then probably outside of school as well back in the day. And, you know, always really liked it, but it was something I hadn't seen for years and I always really liked it. And then when I start seeing that like stuff for Aaron Sorkin, you know, writing the adaptation of it, which I think had been like in plans to come since like 2020, but it got delayed because of COVID. Yeah, he, had, he did a run in, in New York 2018, with, with, yeah. Jeff, with, yeah, with Jeff Daniels. Yeah, and then it came. It came here. It was meant to be. Uh, Reese Funds, Reece? or, or yeah. however you say his name. E-fans. When I saw it, it was Rafe Ball mm. at Attica Finch. Um, but I think oh. it changed a few times. I, I saw who you had Matthew Modine, baby. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, apparently, damn. all right. So this is funny. Private Joker, him probably the. It was apparently the best one as well, like in terms of the London cast, because. Sure, um, sure. I mean, he was great. He really like felt like an Atticus Finch. Yeah. Um, the th- the thing is, like the last flat Julia and I were living in, we were sharing it uh, just to save some money for about a year or so with like our sort of I don't know Julia's sort of cousin, family friend, and mm-hmm. uh, she was like trying to find someone to move in, and she had a friend who happened to be in the whole like. Um, you know, entertainment business or whatever, who took our room. And it turned out she had just joined the cast of, uh, or she was like a part of the cast of To Kill a Mockingbird. And she was like one of the floating sort of like ensemble members or whatever. And one of the town. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so she was there, I think like from the beginning with, the two, to, I think there was two others besides, um, yeah, Matthew Modine. And she was just like, yeah, the first guy was like, 
okay and then he had to leave and then they had the second guy and he was just horrible (laughs) he was like just horrible to work with and everything and he just Uh, like wasn't having a good time and just like just left i think it was sort of like yeah i can't do this and then matthew modine came in and he just like really gelled everybody together and it was they were like oh it was a bit funny at first but then you realize that he was just kind of like getting into a weird like method character sort of thing (laughs) i was like that's sick but yeah, he just seemed yeah, really no, nice. I could see it. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, Matthew when I saw cool. when I saw Rafe Ford do it, I thought he did a good job. But my only thing was like, scratching a bit maybe too young to play this. Yeah, like he seemed like he was like not that age at all. Like, and not that he should be old, but he needs to be old. Of the, the, the whole thing in the movie where he's like, you know, I'm too old for that, son. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an old widow dad. He got like two kids. He seems to take care of all the kids in the town. Yeah, and he's like. And of everybody, he seems to be the only like family doing okay. You know, I guess because he's a lawyer and he's like still got money, they still have a maid and everything, you know. Yeah, I think it's, it's just like, enough poor, to get by. But not really. poor like them. Yeah. Enough yeah. to get by. Um, but it, But he's also living off of like he's fed he's fed by like the community because he does jobs for true. for food and shit. So yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no, I'm glad Matthew Modine went that good. You know who'd yeah. be good at a Finch? John Hamm. John Hamm, yeah. Should give him look. give him like uh, another five years or something like that, and he'd like yeah, and he'll 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 do his little fuck horn leg horn. Last head gentleman of the jury. We'll get a lot of that <laughs> next week. Jesus Christ! I already watched that film, and I was gonna prep, but I just like I was so sick the last few days that I just couldn't do it. So it's like, alright, yeah, let's yeah. do one. But like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was laughing my ass off during that scene. To Kill a Mockingbird is adapted from the 1960 Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name by Nell Harper Lee. And with that, she created the legend that was Atticus Finch, one of the most revered men in fiction. And the yes. film adaptation with Gregory Peck portraying the role further, further, perfect cast, right? Like he's classic yeah. movie star, and Atticus Finch is kind of everything. Yeah. You want out of a male fiction character, fiction style. He's like, he's strong. He's like, you know, he's got a good conscience. He's, he's like strong, stable, he's tender. Like yeah. all those things. A lot of people after the fact were basically just like, yeah, Gregory Peck was like, he was so good at it because that's just kind of who Gregory that's, Peck was. He's apparently yeah, just like playing himself almost. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, he's like, he is just, just really genuine and really nice and like lovely and friendly and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, I you know someone could go take that statement and go dig out some dirty naughty facts about Gregory Peck. <laughs> yeah, check out all these <laughs> nude pictures. <laughs> as far as I know, yeah. And Atticus Finch actually was named by the AFI as the greatest hero in American cinema, um, and one of their like heroes and villains polls uh, back in 2003 or something like that. So yeah, greatest of all time. Wow. Uh, which is crazy. He beat out Indiana Jones, which was number two. That's insane. And yeah. he lost the case. <laughs> yeah. And after To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch became a legal folk hero as well. And he's the reason why many attorneys and judges took up the law. I guess this will become a rolling thing of people who are inspired by or taking, you know, uh, you know, things and watching it and, you know, talking about, oh, you should watch this and blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that again next week as well. Um, Mm. I have a feeling no one's going to talk about that the week after next, (laughs) like in sort of legal precedence, but 
whatever. Uh, one law professor at the University of Notre Dame stated that the m- most influential textbook he taught from was To Kill a Mockingbird. And an article in the Michigan Law Review claims no real life lawyer has done more for the self-image or public perception of the legal perce- uh, profession before questioning whether Atticus Finch is a paragon of honor or an especially slick hired gun. Mm. <laughs> However, in 1992, <laughs> an Alabama editorial called for the death of Atticus, saying that as liberal as Atticus was, he still worked within a system of institutionalized racism and sexism mm. and should not be revered. The editorial sparked a flurry of responses from attorneys who entered the profession because of him and esteemed him as a hero. Critics of Atticus maintain he is mor- morally ambiguous and does not use his legal skills to challenge the racist status quo of Makem. Uh, and also, I read another thing, and it was like someone who was kind of talking about how we should stop, you know, giving To Kill a Mockingbird to young children in schools and stuff, and saying that this is like a great book for them to be reading because Atticus is, you know, uh, he's not that great of a man and blah, blah, blah. And like, she started going off about how Oh, Tom Robinson, he couldn't like, you know, at, you know, Atticus is like, you know, I guess coming in like white savior and he's like, Tom Robinson couldn't take care of, you know, his self because, you know, he didn't have the means to money wise or like mm-hmm. the mental faculty to do so and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, bitch, this is the fucking 1920s, man. Like yeah. <laughs> in the South, he's a black man. Like no one's going to like, he's still lost. His case as well. That's how mm. fucking serious they took like black people in the South down down back in the day, like doing anything like wrong, even if they didn't do it. It's like they were fucking racist, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he stood no chance. He stood yeah. no fucking chance. No, like, and he does try, but and he but he like he desperately he's the moral center of that town, and he desperately tried to like appeal to that yeah. part of the jury and you can see they're not even fucking really listening to him like when they finally cut to like yeah. over they're just sort of fidgeting in their chair and then he's like really passionate and it's just like you know this to be a lie you know all of this to be a lie you know that they are liars and they do this it's yeah. like a ridiculous thing you know and it's like and the ideal of the American court system is not an ideal to me it's my reality it's what I work and live in so I'm just upholding that and I thought yeah. that was really interesting. It's not this thing, this wonderful ideal that we can work to one day. And it's like, it's, the, it's this, what we're doing now, if we only like work with it and yeah. not bow down to our own stupid like shortcomings. Yeah. I mean, like I can, I guess I can sit and listen to people, obviously like, you know, talk about whether or not they like Atticus Finch as like a character and stuff and believe you know, mm. like see however they want to see it. I mean, the story in general, like when we get to like the name of the fucking book in general as well, like just the way people interpret like the themes and all that are like, you know, it's open, like really, you know, to so many interpretations. And, mm. uh, but like, I, I don't know. I kind of, I like Atticus, man. And that like, it I is yeah. that fucking, especially in the film, man, like Gregory Peck just, Holds that like fucking that final exactly speech, the dad oh, you shit. want he's the dad you want to be he's like <laughs> that guy always knows what to say how to deal with every kind of person again it's like like i was saying it's 
morally righteous it's smart it's strong but like not violent you know it, it literally the guy to turn the other cheek yeah which he does <laughs> multiple times well funny enough to kill a mockingbird wasn't the uh first time atticus finch would appear in a harper lee story now harper mm-hmm. lee only released two books in her life oh yeah i know about the the second the sequel so, then that's not a sequel there was a preliminary version of the character who appeared in a novel called Ghost Set a Watchman, which was written in the mid-1950s, but was not published until 2015 as a huge bestseller. Like it, I think it was one of the biggest pre-orders of all time, and I think it even beat out some of these like fucking Harry Potter books, which is <laughs> crazy. And it was basically billed as the highly anticipated second novel of Harper Lee and a sequel. To, to kill a mockingbird but it actually turned out it was actually just an early draft of mockingbird, to kill a mockingbird. and that's all weird why do that it's kind of crazy too because in ghost set a watchman as well the story is told from a 26 year old scout returning home to make from new york to visit her father atticus who's now in his 70s and he's an old racist her brother jim has <laughs> died of the same condition as like a heart condition that took their mother and scout starts to see her father is a bit racist, completely shattering the image of Atticus, the mockingbird built up for over 60 years. Oh my God. That's exactly the fucking sequel. These people wanted who hate Atticus Finch. They're like, I knew it. See, even Harper Lee knew it. She just waited 50 years to put it out. (laughs) She knew it before she even wrote. Yeah. And it was set during the basically during the b- debate of segregation and the Supreme Court's decision of Brown versus the Board of Education. And Atticus argues that basically that blacks of the South aren't ready for full civil rights. And it's like there's like weird elements where he's like at times he's like, you know, seems like he's okay and you know, liberal and like okay with open minded. Yeah. But then yeah, and then it's just like yeah, oh, well, they're not quite ready for full civil rights or whatever. And it's like, Jesus. And uh, I believe there's flashbacks in the story to when Scout was a young girl and stuff that like go back and that's like where these bits to uh, to kill a mockingbird are set and stuff. But mm. in that story- she was like, actually just that bit is good. Let's just take that bit. <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy though, because like in that story- when it goes back in time and stuff and she starts having flashbacks and she's thinking about the case that is in To Kill a Mockingbird where Atticus is uh, defending oh, so still Tom Robinson. Still def- but yeah. He grows up to be a guy who's like still not Well, I guess, for- yeah, it's like one of these weird things. It's kind of- I guess that does happen. Yeah, and it's like when, I, I guess, I don't know, he's a man of his time in To yeah, Kill a yeah. Mockingbird and you don't really- yeah it's weird because he like he te- in the film and in the book and stuff like that was actually released he teaches so much of like you know to not be prejudiced and not just against like you know uh you know the black people in town and stuff but like you know he has that whole line about you never know what it's like to be someone until you like walk in their mile skin in their a mile yeah. in their shoes and or in their skin and stuff. And that mm-hmm. like also goes to Boo Radley because he wants them to stop fucking pestering Boo Radley as well. Cause yeah. he's like, 
you know, he knows he's had a hard life. Yeah, he's had a hard life. He's obviously has some sort of mental disability or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, people are just like constantly just making a boogeyman out of him. Uh, But yeah, so like in this version, though, like he defends Tom Robinson and I think he actually wins the case. Like I haven't read it, so I don't really know. But like for what I've what I've picked up this morning, I was wrong to win that case. he, He won the case. But then like in the book later when they're like in the present time in the book uh, and scouts, like an, an adult Calpurnia's grandson, like accidentally kills someone in a, like by driving recklessly. Oh. And then he goes to defend and Atticus, Atticus, Atticus goes to put defend the hat him. back on yeah. like the other tune, <laughs> the tie on. And he's like, okay, I'll bring it out one more time. But yeah, he goes to defend him and it's a whole thing where he's trying to like stop the NAACP from getting involved and because Atticus is so revered in the town that like they back off. So he goes in to, you know, defend Calpurnia and it's fucking weird. It sounds That's really even strange. more with the white privilege thing. It's like, no, yeah. this, let this white man take over and save things like mm. he did before. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. That's so, weird. But that, it's an earlier draft. It's not, shouldn't figure that out yet. Like, there's some good ideas in there, though. I don't think it would have been heralded as much because it's so conflicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just, it's like, To Kill Mockingbird is very much like, you know, like an iconic American novel and like a beacon of like, you know, uh, you know tolerance and freedom and like what a just and modern society should be like yeah. morally. But if you have a book like that, where it's like, yeah, but you know, you can still grow up to do certain things. This is and too like, real. <laughs> this, is this is a bit real. Yeah, it's a bit weird. You want to do that, like, purest version of it. Yeah, and yeah. Why Kill a Mockingbird works in the world, because it's like it's in a very pure, well, an impure, but like a nostalgic time for yeah. some, an old time. And it's pure in terms of uh, perspective. Yeah. Because it's the whole thing is from the kid's point of view and that works because you you can argue you arguably you're simplifying the conversation but that's because the conversation is ridiculous to begin with yeah and it's all being so as soon as you show it from a child you be like a oh it child. is stupid yeah. yeah even if even a child can see that this is stupid then no grown person should be like yeah you know advocating for the same thing not interesting though <laughs> well harper <laughs> lee sold well received? Well, she sold this that, uh, didn't manuscript. You say she passed, didn't you say she passed away like 2016? So yeah. did you just like shove it out like right before she died? Well, I'll get to it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> she sold the manuscript. She, she didn't write anything else. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I kind of like lost track of like the film because I was getting like lost in this like shit with Harper Lee, which was yeah. way more interesting. Yeah. Like, because the film's great. We like you know, the What song. can we say? Yeah, Gregor Peck's great. <laughs> Robert Paul is crazy. I actually didn't even give my two, my points about the film. Like, yeah, go. I love the film. It's great. Uh, <laughs> that's it. No, I the thing about the film I love that I've completely forgot about is uh, how fucking creepy it is at times. It's like oh, it's creepy. super it's creepy. Scary, man. Like, yeah. it reminds me a lot of like uh, Night of the Hunter. Like it's just the way the shadows and stuff and the music and stuff and the way that like, I guess because it is from the kid's perspective and they're like painting like, you know, like, you know, any fucking thing out at night, like especially like Boo Radley and stuff is the boogeyman. So like anytime they show the kids walking alone at nighttime and there's like fucking weird shadows and like, especially at the end when they're being followed clearly 
That bit um, had mad Dennis the Menace vibe. Yeah, but so, Bob Yule. Uh, yeah, dude, that shit's crazy. Yeah, we're always bringing up that, man. That's like completely giving us brain worms, Dennis the, Dennis the Menace. But, uh, it tra- traumatized me, that movie. <laughs> but yeah, so Harper Lee, she sold the manuscript of Ghost Set of Watchmen in 1957 to J.B. Lippincott Company and her editor called Tay Hohoff, I think. Thought it was great, but basically thought she needed to do a little bit of work on it. But like, man, like what we have here is a great young writer. Great young writer here. But one thing that she was taken with was the flashbacks to Scout's childhood. And Harper Lee said she persuaded me to write the novel from a point of view of a young Scout. And from there, Hohoff, draft by draft, guided Lee to what would become To Kill a Mockingbird. And sometimes Hoff is referred to being the visible hand behind the story. So, you know, maybe To Kill a Mockingbird is the one, you know, it's actually like its greatness is down to a lot of the editor as well. <laughs> and uh, it's possible that she could be the one who pushed for more of a liberal and social justice point of view as well. The original name was meant to be Atticus as well. And that was what Harper Lee was really pushing for. But it was changed to To Kill a Mockingbird, possibly by uh, Tay uh, Hoff as well. So, it's a much better title. I'm not title. really sure. Ghost of Watchmen is a great title as well. Those are both yeah. like really poetic titles. Yeah, Ghost of Watchmen, which was, I guess that was Harper Lee's original title uh, for the original manuscript. That that was hers. And that was from like a King James, like a, a verse in King Bible James Bible. Verse. But yeah, she just wanted to call it Atticus when she got around to like reworking it. But in the film, I, that's where like the the whole like mock like don't uh, to kill a mockingbird. The whole thing like kind of comes up as well, like of like what does that mean and stuff. And it like you know and you know and obviously in the film and in the book or whatever, it kind of comes in two different ways in the book because in the book, it's like Atticus kind of says something, but then the character that like largely is like forgotten to a point where like Aaron Sorkin completely wrote her out. Like I'm forgetting her fucking name as well. Like what's, what's her name? She's in the film. Uh, Miss mm. Maudie. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Maudie. She's like such a pointless character. <laughs> it's actually she's really there funny. to watch the kid when he like goes <laughs> it's, out. Yeah. It's like, is Atticus like with her? Eh, I don't know. Then, then yeah. I get there. But yeah, it's, it's so funny. Cause like, yeah, you would imagine that too. Like Atticus is probably a bit of a man about town that like all the oh, ladies definitely. love. The ladies oh, love. Oh, he's yeah. a fucking widower. Oh, bless his heart. Um, yeah. Oh, I can let him preside over my case any day. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the film though, Atticus says mockingbirds don't uh, don't do one thing but make music for us to enjoy, but. Uh, sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. And a lot of like the themes around like the whole idea of the title is to kill a mockingbird. It's like a very literal connection to the plot, but it also carries mm. carries a great deal of symbolic weight in the book. And it's like basically the story of innocence being destroyed by evil. And the mockingbird comes to re- uh, represent the idea of innocence thus to kill a mockingbird is to destroy mm. innocence. So I feel like we're back in school. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that, yeah. it, it's, it's crazy though. Cause it like floats around. Like the, the mockingbird is like so many different like people in the book. 
Like yeah, yeah. even the, in the film, they do that a couple times, but I mean, at the end, they flat out say it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Cause it people. goes back to Boo Radley, but at the time, yeah. like at times it's Tom Robinson. And, yeah, and I think exactly. a lot of times that has called some people because when they're trying to like read into like the meaning of the mockingbird as being like the songbird who does nothing but like sings their heart outs for us. They like, and if they put that onto Tom Robinson, they're like, Oh, well like a black person. And it's like a minstrel connotation, blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not the intuition <laughs> though. That dude's like a, like a guy going around doing jobs with people. Like he's only helping people. That's yeah. what he means. Yeah. yeah. Boo Radley doesn't sing either. You know what I mean? Like, but he like makes things and he like yeah. helps the kids and save their lives. Yeah, and a lot of it is just it's not do. literally singing. Yeah, it's it's the innocent. People are so deliberately yeah. like stupid sometimes. But like it's funny though, because the the Finch last name a Finch is a songbird as well. So it's also like yeah. another song. Inadequate Finch the the mockingbird? Eh, to a certain extent. Maybe he's what? maybe naivete uh to mm. believe that he could change the opinions of people. Um yeah. is that a little Old bit of innocence, races. but uh, obviously a lot of it's like Scout is like the Mockingbird. Oh, and she's the Mockingbird. Her innocence yeah. is being destroyed by growing up during this and kind of seeing, but at the same time, yeah. her ability to like go in, see what life is like for other people outside of her world and open up her mind I know. to every I it- other people or like is expanding her horizons and broadening like her scope of the world. Yeah. I really like the kids in this movie. Like they're so well drawn. Like Jim, it's like you know he seems like this sort of Huck Finn type character. Yeah. But then like you see him interact with the town, like people around town, and he's very, he's very much like Atticus, and he's like and he's very respectful and he's very smart. And like Scout has a problem with fighting in school, and she's learning to not do that. She's trying to he. Anakin's trying to teach her like empathy and like, yeah, like learning to not judge others and yeah, walking in their skin before presuming anything about them. But I've, and I, I understand that's the sort of main theme of that. And that's why it's important for all the kids to sort of see such injustice happening in their town. It's also just interesting to see her, a young girl, and her femininity is something that's like played with here because she's very much like a tomboy figure. Yeah. She's got the bowl cut and she's got the dungaree and she's really uncomfortable in the dress and stuff. Um, you know, it's not the act quote unquote girly. But like and then so seeing the only other really significant woman in this town also victimized. <laughs> yeah, she's way. also it, a mockingbird as well. <laughs> she's not a mockingbird, yeah. you know, she's like you know, she argue, you know, she's lying about what's happening, but she's also trying to make up for her own security and guilt. And, you know, she's the victim of other abuse and yeah. poverty and ignorance and everything adequate. And so it's like it's this, it's just this never ending chain, this cycle. And it's just it it I just found it an interesting dichotomy there of like a, a girl being taught to not to fight and then sort of seeing the outcome of a woman who can't yeah. fight 
for now. I just thought that was an extra, again, an extra layer of like a, a woman. And that's why I was like, oh shit, I the woman. That makes total. Yeah. Like an extra layer of like growing up in the 30s in the South. It's there's, just, a, yeah. there's even another as well because there's Mrs. Dubose. Who's like? Oh yeah, the old like. Don't you say hey to me, girl. She's basically yeah. like a like you know. She seems like this old crazy lady, but like of course like Atticus like opens. You know, he's Good so day, polite Mr. to her and stuff. Yeah. And even though she's horrible, but like she is literally like a pill head. She's like addicted to opioids, and like yeah. you know is just like this old lady who's just like addicted to pills and shit. <laughs> like you know it's and like another like person yeah so it's like everybody <coughs> i think that's like what's great about this story because it's like regardless of like where you feel like it fits in with like you know if, you know i don't know like people's place in the world and how they your, like yeah your views of it and stuff i, I feel politics. like it at least like starts to like you know show that man there's like everybody has fucking issues man like you know there's like no one's like living, especially at this time as well in the twenties, mm. everybody's fucking dealing with the depression and shit. But like, you know, it's like everyone's got fucking problems, you know. That's the point. Yeah. You should be nice to people. Yeah, yeah. And you should be fair with people. Coming together because everybody's fucking the same, really. Yeah. But yeah. Um, well, it's funny, Harper Lee, you you're mentioning about the book and everything, like, you know, this whole release. I want to know. Yeah. So yeah. she actually never intended to release another book after To Kill a Mockingbird. She had like attempted people, to write. How many people write To Kill a Mockingbird? You're like, yeah. I'm done. You know, like I did it. Yeah. I think it's like one of these things where she was really, it, it took her ages to write. And I think mm. like uh, it took her a long time to write the original like manuscript. And then once she sold then she it, she had to redo she it. She had to redo it <laughs> numerous times. And I think that took like three years. And she just, I, th- I think it was just like after that, she was like, oh, well, I'm going to go like write, like, I think she tried to write like a true crime story and she just yeah, never finished it. Yeah, because I remember it. reading about, uh, she worked with Truman Capote yes, on, yeah. on In Cold Blood, which is like, yeah. if you're into that, it's like the first true crime novel. Yeah, which I'm, I'm assuming was probably inspired by that experience, which made her want to go try to yeah. do a true crime story herself, but she never finished it. And I think there was a book that was released uh, where it kind of took the case that she was like looking at and like mm. basically did this, the story that she was working on, obviously like probably not having the actual story itself, but like that she had, yeah. but like, you know, taking up the case and it was like the lost story of, you know, Harper Lee, but you know, she, had to kill a mockingbird and this manuscript for ghost. So watchman was like only released after her sister died and her sister was acting as a lawyer and a caretaker for Harper Lee. So Harper Lee, I think was 89 when she passed away. So this was released when she was probably like 88 and Minnie found it very suspicious because she was, she was like, you know, in failing health and stuff at Mm -hmm. the time. And a lot of people like, thought it was like a controversy and everything like alleging that, you know, she was being taken advantage of and that like she was pressured into allowing publication against her previously stated intentions of never releasing another book and investigators for the state of Alabama even interviewed her in response to suspicion of elder abuse in relation to the publication of the book, which was discovered to be unfounded. But a lot of this stuff that was coming out was coming out of like, 
her lawyers and stuff after the fact. And it was like these weird statements and stuff and like, you know, saying that she was happy that it was finally out and all that. So I don't know. Okay. It's really weird. All right. And the thing is, she really hated the spotlight and stuff, and she was happy to be a recluse. She was like apparently very pleased to visit the set of the film, but like they actually offered her to get involved and like, you know, offered her the chance to write the screenplay when they were making the movie. And she was like, no, I don't have any interest in screen like or experience in, in writing screenplays. And plus, she was busy writing, I think, what would become that like true crime novel that she never finished. Mm-hmm. So. She was like, nah. But when it came to adapting it, Alan J. Pakula, who was director of the Paranoia Trilogy. So you have Clute, The Parallax View, and All the President's Men. I mean, banger, 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 banger. Yeah, we've done that. All the President's Men is such a good movie, man. So good. Great movie. Next year, Paranoia theme. Yeah, yeah. Easily. That could be good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he was like, at this point, early in his career and he was like it was his producing stage of his career and he had this partnership with robert mulligan and alan j pakula remembered the universal pictures executives questioned him about like a potential script and they said what story do you plan to have for the film and i said have you read the book and they <laughs> said yes and he said well that's the story <laughs> so <All> controversial <laughs> we have uh gregory peck is atticus finch Atticus Finch is actually based on Harper Lee's actual father. So this is where it gets really interesting when you think about like that original story, Ghost Set of Watchmen. Uh, yeah. Because her father was named Amasa Coleman Lee or A.C. Lee. And I believe her mother's surname was actually like her maiden name was actually Finch. So that's where that came from. And he was an Alabama lawyer who, like Atticus, represented black defendants in highly publicized criminal trials. And Yeah, like it was just kind of like this weird thing, like where a lot of elements, like her mother, I think, passed away when she was young. And her brother also passed away from a similar condition. Like I think like uh like her mother died of a heart heart issue and her brother her brother had like an aneurysm or something like that. And he Mm. was like in war or something, and it was very similar, like where Atticus uh like especially in that ghost set a watchman story was like really fatigued by the loss of his wife and his son. And it was like very similar to her real life father. And it was like mm-hmm. a lot of these weird elements. Like she went off to New York and she was like, you know, trying to be a writer and she would come down to visit her father. And, uh, that's a very similar story to what happened in that book. I think she was like, literally just like writing her actual real story. And apparently her, I think her father actually was like someone who, was relatively liberal, but like still was like, Hey, he's a man of the South who became more liberal as he got older. And I think that's sort of how they like morphed Atticus Finch into being that character. Who's just like this Mm -hmm. really morally strong person. But in terms of uh, the character of Atticus Finch in the film, I mean, James Stewart was actually offered the role originally. And he's like the one guy you could think like, ah, I can see this. The only other person that could be like, yeah, you could do it. But he declined the role because he thought the story was too controversial. What a little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. This is a little much for me. (laughs) I have to like black people? (laughs) James, come on, bro. Oh, man. Uh, Universal offered the role to Rock Hudson, 
when the project was first being developed, but Alan J. Pakula wanted a bigger star and he said he wanted Gregory Peck. And Universal was like, well, I mean, if you can get Gregory Peck, we'll definitely fund the film. (laughs) And like, he was like brought on board and the rest is history. And he like actually apparently developed like a lifelong friendship with Harper, Harper Lee because she would, like I said, she visited the set and stuff. She was pretty happy to come do that. And she was pretty happy with the film and everything. And um, he apparently named like one of his kids Harper after her. And uh, she reportedly even gave him uh, her father's pocket watch as a present for his work on the film. And I think uh. his, her father passed away like literally like the year the film came out. I don't know if he saw it or not, but um, he actually wore it to accept his Academy Award. But apparently he like lost it at one point, like uh, in his luggage traveling back to Heathrow. And he was like really afraid to tell her. And he finally did tell her and she was like, oh, it's okay. It's not like, you know, at least you're okay. <laughs> like, you know, she was probably not very sentimental about it, which is funny. Uh, yeah, we have Mary Badham who plays Jean Louise Scout Finch. She's actually the younger sister of John Badham, who's the director of Saturday Night Fever and War Games, Short Circuit and Stakeout, like all those films. Oh my God. Like we all played right. a lot of his films like a couple years back with Cell- like Celluloid Sorceress. She was doing like a whole mm. series of his films, like uh, what was it? Bird on the Wire or some shit like that. I'm not really sure, but like a lot of those crazy films. And then there's uh, Philip Alfred as Jim. And I, I read that despite like, you know, the characters being kind of close on the film and stuff, like Mary Badham basically was just like annoying as fuck to Philip Alfred. <laughs> like <laughs> they didn't get along. She would just be basically mimicking like what he was saying, like mimicking his lines off camera so that he couldn't concentrate. She was just like constantly <laughs> fucking around. And, uh, I think a lot of this had to do with like the fact that like, you know, she didn't want to like end. She was having a lot of fun. I think one of the last scenes they filmed was the, the scene like uh, where she comes and stops like the fucking mob, the lynch mob. Yeah. yeah. And she was apparently purposely fucking up her lines because she was just like wanting, you know, the fun to keep going. Yeah, she was just having a blast. And uh, they they were just like, you know, come on. And then like her mother. We need to attend now. Yeah, her her mother was just like, go on, be a professional, please. (laughs) And she like, she finally just said. If you get through your line, then we'll give you a part and go to the Watchmen. (laughs) Coming out. Coming out, I swear. 2015, I swear. Uh, You'll be perfect. You'll, you know, have aged probably out of the role at that point. (laughs) Maybe you can play the mother. Yeah. Play an old Myth Morty or some shit. Yeah. You know. You can play, you know, Mrs. Dubot. Yeah. Whatever. She's still alive. <laughs> like, who knew? It's like, you know, the opioids are a miracle drug. <laughs> they work, yeah. <laughs> Why are we making yeah. fun of her this whole time? I did read also that Philip Alfred, who played Jim, he had a lot of trouble eating certain foods for years after this, particularly bacon and eggs, because he had to eat the food repeatedly until they got the scenes right. <laughs> All those breakfast scenes, yeah. which it, it normally I was, I was going to call a snack time there. <laughs> 
Yes. So <laughs> this is the first, although we have just forgotten it in the past. Yeah. Uh, I politely asked Jonathan before, I was like, could we please skip snack time? Because I'm having trouble keeping yeah. food down. To be honest, um, I was happy to do so because I also, since being ill, like was struggling to eat things. Like mm-hmm. today feels like the f- day, the first day I could possibly eat stuff. Like I barely ate anything like Tuesday or sorry, Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. I just like, just couldn't do it. I had like one meal and that was it. And I was going like, Oh, I'm going to have dinner. And I was like, dude, nah, fuck. I can't eat. And then yesterday yeah. I was like, finally about to eat something. I was just like, Oh man. <laughs> it's that thing right where it's like you do need energy but like yeah your body like doesn't i just don't want mm. it like it feels it's no if if it's immediately like rejected like how is that helping me if yeah just going right out it's more draining that way so it's got yeah even talking about food is making me like <laughs> <laughs> but what we, what i would have done i would have gotten like a slice of ham a slice of ham <laughs> vegan yeah, ham. yeah but you know like that's a, just that's a weird part in this movie. Yeah, you know the big like ham. It just costume. kept out your big ham. She looks like when Lisa dressed in Florida in the Simpsons. Yeah, or it's She's like, like I'm not a state. I'm a monster. Yeah, it's like Harriet the Spy, or like uh, there's a mm. Hey Arnold episode that feels very much like they are riffing on Harriet the Spy, mm. or it was like yeah. vice versa. I'm not really sure like which one did it first, but yeah, yeah. like what, all the kids what would wearing you, big hams and shit. What would you have done? Well. I mean, I was sitting there like racking my brain and obviously there's like, there's a lot of like, you know, Corn nut. You, can do, <laughs> you can do a lot of, uh, you know, Southern foods and stuff. And Calpurnia is like making all this like fucking shit. You yeah. know? Do you have a cookbook? There's molasses. <laughs> Calpurnia's cookbook. There's molasses, like little Walter, like pouring molasses all over his shit, which is just gross. I'm with Scout. I mean, come on. You're what in the Sam Hill. Are you doing? You're ruining it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's like, there's a lot of like things. And I think in the actual book, there's even more and they discuss it more. And there's like, cr- like little like crackle bread or something that Calpurnia makes for Scout. And I went and looked at the recipe for it and it just sounds like ridiculous. Like it's like cornmeal, which is great. Like, cool. It's like a cornbread esque thing. But then it got crazy because it was like, oh, you got to add like two eggs. You got to add like a bunch of sugar. You got to add like all this other shit. And then like buttermilk. And then the thing that was just really fucked up was like the crackle bit was literally like pork crackling. And I was just, it just sounds like grease and shit. And I was just like, dude, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing this. Fuck that. That's crazy. This is why there's no racist in the mouth. <laughs> it's because everything clogged with fucking yeah. meat and sugar. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great, though. Yeah. I would, I imagine the way you're describing the book, I imagine a lot of like, you sneak out, be like killing a mockingbird, which is like, like this crackle bread here. <laughs> which is a lot like it's a like box every of chocolate. You never go, know yeah, what you're going to yeah. get. <laughs> uh, uh, I also like, in my perverse brain was just thinking I could just like spit into like a glass and then drink my spit because there's so much spit in this movie. Like there's, sure, yeah. there's spitting everywhere. Little kids are spitting on fences. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, like come on, spit, spit some more, spit some more. We need to add more spit so we can open this gate without it making too much noise. And then like, yeah, we get spitting faces, spit spitting in the of? streets. 
And yeah. then <laughs> it's like WD forty spit. Yeah. And then like uh, there's a there's this there's this scene though that shit's so funny because it's after the kids were spitting on the fence and Jim is sitting in the car watching like Atticus kind of get punked out by Bob Yule because Bob mm-hmm. Yule like spits in his face. But I mean, you know, he holds his ground, he just kind of looks at him he like wipe oh, fuck you. And he walks away. He walks away. Yeah. But uh Bob Yule just like feels like he's the bigger man. Uh but like Jim's watching it the whole time and he's just like Nah, oh, man, you gotta, you gotta put some more spit on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just like do it again, do it again. Come on, come on, Bob. Come on, that's not enough spit. Hit, hit, hit you. Yeah, yeah. You need more spit. <laughs> you only covered a little bit of that cheek. You want the whole face. <laughs> you want to get that like hinge really grease, man. You want yeah, that yeah. arm to start swinging. You gotta like. Yeah, you it. want that slip slidey face. <laughs> you gotta keep spitting. <laughs> He's like, come on, I'll, I'll show you. Come how it's on. Done. <laughs> <laughs> He's grown yeah, up in the town. Such a spitty movie. It was disgusting. <laughs> yeah, last year was last year. Last time we had a very sweaty movie. Yeah, and this one's a very spitty movie. Mm. It's all sorts of human, like you know. I mean, next week's just, just like chocolate, p- chocolate pudding. <laughs> I don't know. It's just no, mud. It's grit. Yeah, grit. grit. Yeah. What is the grit? We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, yeah, so I was talking about John Megna already, who played Hyman Roth. And he's like flashback things. So he plays a little Dill. Dill. Man, Dill. kids are cute. Dill is a film. much he's, bigger. He's, he's amazing. He's cute. I love this little Roth. His little head's kid. too big for his fucking head. Like body yeah, way too stuff. big. He um, used way more in the play, and I thought that was really effective. I kind of yeah. missed him in the film because I was like, oh, he kind of he disappeared. And I was like, oh, he'll be back for the summer. Oh, I see what they're doing. But yeah. He doesn't play much of a role, but he's quite significant in the play. Like, he's always around, and a lot of it's told from his perspective. Um, and, you know, so he actually builds a relationship with Atticus by the end, you know, almost adopts them to a certain point of view in a certain way. Um, yeah, there's a lot of about really good. Dill's like lying about his uh, dad, his dad yeah. and stuff in the play. It feels like a, a missing thing, like that's right there in the movie that they don't go for. Like hit the guy with hit a kid with an absent father, clearly um, lying about that fact, and then meet the family with a very strong father figure, and he yeah. never really lean into it. I'm not, I'm not sure if they do that in the book either, because it's like one of those things that like. Aaron Sorkin could have like taken himself or, mm. or if he got from the book, cause I, I haven't read the book in so long. I don't really remember like the stuff about Dill in the book, but um, it is interesting though, because like we already brought up Truman Capote. Harper Lee based Dill on Truman Capote because they were childhood <laughs> friends. Capote actually lived really? next door to Harper Lee as kids That's and he'd come down to visit that. Yeah. And, uh, they played together a lot and they even shared Harper Lee's typewriter. They would base, they were both, both basically outside of the social circles of like the close knit Southern town that they lived in. And, mm. uh, Gerald Clark wrote in Capote, a biography. Nell was too rough for most other girls and Truman was too soft for most other boys. And Capote's first book, other Voices, Other Rooms has a tomboy character resembling Harper Lee named Itabel Tompkins. So, yeah, it's like, it's definitely a lot of like this, like, uh, lifelong friendship and stuff. And 
Truman Capote actually spoke a lot about Harper Lee over the years, saying that like her father was a lawyer and she and I used to go to trials all the time as children. And we went to the trials mm-hmm. instead of going to movies. He also mentioned the Boo Radley character, basically saying it was a real person, but his name was Alfred. Actually, Robert Duvall. <laughs> his name was Alfred's son, Bullware. Or however, I'm not sure how you say that, but Capote said he was a real man and he lived just down the road from us. We used to go and get those things out of the trees. Everything Lee wrote about is absolutely true. So it was like wow. this guy was really like putting little knickknacks and stuff in the tree for him. <laughs> All right. And some even speculated that Truman Capote actually wrote To Kill a Mockingbird or in the very least edited the book. But he actually only saw the manuscript one time. And that was after Harper Lee accompanying, accompanying him to Kansas, like you mentioned, to investigate the murders that were the basis for In Cold Blood. And that was just before To Kill a Mockingbird was released. So it was impossible that he had anything to do with it. Okay. Uh, but he was pretty jealous because they were lifelong <laughs> friends. And he was jealous of the success of Harper Lee. Because uh, he, you know, he had a he had a long career. I think in the long run, yeah, he would get his like, yeah, yeah. I mean, death, he's had so many things, like you know, obviously mm. in Cold Blood and Breakfast at Tiffany's, and Tiffany, it's just like yeah. it's crazy. His his uh, work is he's got so much, and it's all beloved. And you know, there's been adaptations and stuff that are really beloved as well. Uh, but you know, Harper Lee won a Pulitzer Prize, and it was something he was really hoping he would win for in Cold Blood, <laughs> but it didn't Damn. happen. Yeah, yeah. just kind of going through some of the other characters. There's Frank Overton plays the Sheriff Hick Tate. Rosemary Murphy plays Miss Maudie Atkinson. Like I said, pretty pointless character. Ruth White plays uh, <laughs> Mrs. DuBose. And Brock Peters plays Tom Robinson. He's really good in this. Uh, in the scene where he like begins to cry, like when he's testifying. Oh, like he, he basically did it like, you know, with no rehearsal. And he just like started doing it. And I think no one was really expecting it. And Gregory Peck said he couldn't look at him in the scene, you know, without he, you know, he started to choke up himself just like watching it. And they actually became really good friends and stuff. And Brock Peters even delivered Gregory Peck's eulogy on the day of his funeral in 2003. And a fun little fact for you, Phil, I think you would enjoy this. In the 1980s and the 1990s, Brock Peters voiced the role of Darth Vader in the serial <laughs> radio drama adaptations of the Did original really? Star Wars films. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> That's so cool. Stell Evans, who plays Calpurnia. Uh, I feel like she gets more in the play as well. And she definitely gets more in the book. Yeah. I feel like they really cut her back in the film. I mean, she, you know, you get the sense that she's like raising Scout and Jim. But there's more of like the life lessons in the book and also in the play that really get like, you know, brought out. And I think that is really important. I think like a, a lot of this in the and it works, it works in the film. But a lot of it was, I think, Gregory Peck's like he's the star. So we have to like, you know, mm, center this around him. To them. Yeah. When it's really like the book was always Scout's story and seeing the story through Scout's eyes and like her coming of age. And you get more of that within the play and the actual book itself. We get Paul Fix's Judge John Taylor. James Anderson is Robert E. Lee. Bob Yule. <laughs> 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 I love that it's Robert E. Lee. 
Yeah, just like, <laughs> oh, I couldn't have a more appropriate name. Yeah. Uh, he was said to actually be pretty mean, or at least he behaved that way on set, like, and possibly due to some, you know, method acting or something, but like, he didn't really get along with Brock Peters, who played Tom Robinson, and he wouldn't talk to Gregory Peck at all, <laughs> insisting on <laughs> communicating through uh, Robert Mulligan, the director. And in the climatic fight with Jim Finch, Anderson yanked little Philip Alfred's hair so hard that he actually like pulled him out of the shot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> crazy, oh. man. Yeah, God, it looked violent. Yeah. And even the way it sh- shot, it looked like trying to avoid that, but it still looked very violent because it's all like very shaky and close up and you can't really see what's going on. But it's like yeah. people being yanked and falling down and being hit and, and like, Fucking scout like trying to see through a ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I love those shots, man. I think they they're do great, it so well. They're really good it's like, in the hand. It's amazing, like what you can do with so little back in the day, like without, like you yeah. know, and like I kept it still thinking works. that with the Courtney. I kept thinking that with the Courtney. I'm like, this isn't very big. Yeah, but like it feels massive. Yeah, and it feels maybe just because there's so much weight to it, like because you kind of you know everybody in the town and you know what's at stake. Mm. Um. But yeah, just I don't know. It's very powerful. It's just yeah, and it, it felt it benefited that very. It, it, it's the benefit of the film that it's so small because it it just makes it feel like more like you know this place. Like yeah, I feel like I grew up in this place. Like I know it already. Mm. You know, I know the streets and I know that this person lived here and schooled down there and the courthouse with you. I know you, that person lived there and like, do they do a really good job of that of setting that up? And yeah, like you said, showing. Of the mockingbird in everybody, it's very in everybody. I'm a mockingbird. You're a mockingbird, and you're a mockingbird. And where are did? Colleen Wilcox plays Mayella, Violet Yule. Mm. I mean, God, just she had a great but may, like moment on the stand as yeah. well. She's just like, I'm gonna say one thing, and then I'm not gonna say anymore. She just goes off, and you're like. Okay, you don't sound very innocent. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like um, the whole thing of like, you know, and it still is sadly still a thing today, but even more so back then, just the whole like white woman inter, interracial, interracial relationships. Yeah, yeah. And like, especially like a black man, like, you know, with a white woman, even though he's like, it's funny because many, many of the cases, it's like, it's usually the opposite. It's like, nah, man, the fucking guy is the problem. But like, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the one. Like, he's like, I didn't, she jumped on me. And she I jumped on me. Anything. Yeah. And like, you know, he, but he, it's just the, just the fucking, like the, like, oh, that would not play. Oh, no way. No, how there's no way this poor white woman did this. You know, it's like, it's yeah, fucking yeah. nuts, man. And the idea of like, you felt Sorry, you felt sorry for a white woman, hmm. and you're just no good doing this for free. <laughs> yeah, just if yeah, uh, they really the play that. They really play that up in the play too. Like uh, they do, the whole yeah, like you, you feel sorry play. for because like hmm. it. I rem- I remember like because there's a whole bit where he's uh, talking to Tom Robinson, uh, Atticus. I mean, uh, before they go to trial, and he's just like kind of running through the sort of things, and he asks him like why, and he's like, "Well, I felt sorry for," it. and he's like, "Ooh, like you don't want to say that, basically." Yeah, like, yeah. and then he like kind of accidentally says it, and then it's sort of like this whole like, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was losing that case, yeah, anyway, man. 
That did that no way, no how. Again, to quote next week movie, you're an ala fucking Bama. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. There was no way. This God, is next trial. week in Alabama as well? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Alabama or Mississippi or... No, they're yeah. in Alabama. God damn. It's always in Alabama. Get back to Greenbow, Alabama! <laughs> Robert Duvall plays... Arthur Boo Radley. And this is his first film role. Yeah. I remember seeing... No line. Like, I remember seeing his name in the uh, credits. And, like, even though I had seen this film before, but I just, like, completely... I checked out. I forgot. I I thought that. I was like, like, oh, Robert Duvall in this. And And I forgot. Until right at the end, I was like... (gasps) Yeah, and you don't see him until the end. And it's like, he comes... He creepy ass. Comes out of the shadows. He's waiting by the door. He's like, there it's he so is. so creepy. And he's just like. <laughs> I love like how they continue to show it. Like, because the whole time, anytime he's even been hinted at, it's been like, that's where I was talking about the creepy elements, the, the shadow, way it's shot, yeah. the shadows, the hands, the big shadows, whatever it is. It's always <laughs> oh, something. Yeah. And then like yeah. when they actually do show him by this point, scout like is all about him, but he still comes creeping out of the shadow. Like he's fucking like fucking Nosferatu or something. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird to just think one, like that. It was Robert Duvall, like such a famous face in yeah. such a small role. And like, and like to see him so young with hair. Yeah. It's like seeing, <laughs> It's like seeing Dead Topper in like Rebel Without a Cord. You know, like it's that sort of, it's just, it's almost like you separate the time. Yeah. This dude's massive in New Hollywood. Yeah. But like that's still another like 10. 10 yeah, it was another years 10 years the until The Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and then that would be gone by then. That was a tough he'd 10 be years. One of the greatest actors of the generation. It took me losing my hair to become one of the greatest. God damn it. <laughs> um, but no, he's great. He's great in the, in the movie, considering he doesn't really do much. Robert Duvall, like, on his deathbed, is just going to be like, you know, a lot of people say they die for the craft. I know I'm about to die here and maybe I didn't die from a craft, but my hair follicles sure did. <laughs> <laughs> God damn you, Boo Radley. <laughs> <laughs> well, the producers of the film wanted to shoot in Harper Lee's hometown of Monroeville, Alabama, which is what make him was actually based on. So make him isn't a real place, but mm. it was Monroeville. Oh, the you're town, making me crazy. The town had uh, changed. You can have that so one for free. <laughs> The town had changed so much from the 20s in which the story was set to the 1960s, so they opted to shoot on a back lot in Hollywood instead. And the filmmakers realized that Monroeville's old houses were similar in style to the early 20th century clapboard cottages that were rapidly disappearing from the Los Angeles area. So the film production designers went looking around for condemned houses and all the ones that they could find and use, and they found a dozen homes scheduled for demolition near Chavez Ravine where Dodger Stadium was being finished. So this was like oh, right before the Brooklyn Dodgers like moved out to LA and became the yeah. Los Angeles Dodgers. So they were building Dodger Stadium and they found like a dozen of these houses and they paid $5,000 for these houses. They had frame the frames hauled to Universal and they just lined up this fake street with the houses and added like the porches and shutters and so forth. For about a quarter of what it would have cost if they built all those sets from scratch. That's insane. <laughs> they just moved them all. That's great. 
And the old Monroe County Courthouse in Monroeville was used as a model for the film set since they could not use the courthouse due to poor audio quality in the courthouse. And the accuracy of the recreated courthouse in Hollywood led many, especially people in Alabama and Monroeville, to believe that it actually was shot in Monroeville because they were like, dude, that's like, that is, that's it. But they just like did it identically. And nowadays, uh, the old courthouse in Monroe County is uh, now a theater for many plays inspired by To Kill a Mockingbird, as well as a museum dedicated to multiple authors from Monroeville, but mostly it's like a big To Kill a Mockingbird uh, museum. And like, mm. like that's where I was talking about earlier, where they had like the cook, they were trying to sell a cookbook and like Harper Lee was like, fuck no. Nope. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I think the original play, there was the original version of play that was actually written was uh, staged in, Monroe County and they were doing it there and then they went off and like that went off to like uh, New York and there was an original version and I think that even came to London as well and oh, cool. there was a version like with uh, Robert Shaw Leonard who uh, played Atticus Finch and then of course in 2018 Aaron Sorkin adapted it Good one. yeah the film was released on Christmas Day in 1962 and it was a big <laughs> hit with critics and audiences it grossed 13.1 million dollars on a $2 million budget. And the film was nominated for eight, ca- eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. And it won for Best Actor for Gregory Peck, Best Adapted Screenplay for Horton Foote, and Best Art Direction for Alexander Gallatin, Henry Bumstead, and Oliver Emmerich. Mary Badham was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and was 10 years and 141 days old on Oscar night. And at the time, she was the youngest nominee ever for that category. Interestingly, she actually lost to another kid who was Patty Duke, (sighs) age 16, for The the Miracle Worker. Wow, crowded year for kid movie. Which I think is that Helen Keller Uh, uh, story. And today, Batum is the second youngest Best Supporting Actress nominee after Tatum O'Neill, who was 35 days younger the night that she was up and won for Paper Moon in 1974. Oh, all All Scout had to do was smoke a cigarette, you know? She would have fucking won. She would have nailed that shit. Smoke a cigarette and, like, say a couple of curse words, man. That's all you got to do. Stop all this wholesome bullshit, you know? Like, little kids smoking the south. put a cigarette out on that kid (laughs) in the playground. (laughs) Yes, like, walloping him. It's like, don't you ever say that about my dad again. (laughs) 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 I actually love the scouts. Just, like, a little badass just beating the shit out of everybody. She's great. Uh, Pretty little racing kid. Elmer Bernstein was also nominated for a score, and I, I have to bring that up. It was a fucking great score, actually. Like, it yeah, adds a lot to this movie. Film. It's really, really good, mm-hmm. man. Elmer Bernstein yeah, was great. Cool. It was, like, this weird period of time where Elmer Bernstein, like, was, like, about to be sort of, like, ousted in Hollywood because of, like, he was caught up in the whole, like, in the 50s, the, you know... Um, the Red Scare. The Red Scare, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. basically called a commie and shit. And then he came mm-hmm. back... He was just doing a bunch of like comedies and shit. <laughs> like, so it's just like wacky, zany music. It's like, come on, love me, love me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's it. I mean, uh, critics, I mean, you know, they were up and down about it. Obviously, people loved, you know, 
uh, uh, what's his face? Gregory Peck is, <laughs> is uh, Atticus Finch. But like, you know, I did read something about like, you know, Roger Ebert was one of the people who called him a bit of a white savior and his blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I couldn't be bothered. I couldn't be bothered. Yeah, I can't, I can't be bothered. Yeah. I'll give you that. He probably, you know, he ended to a certain extent, but like, he's one who's like very aware of it. Yeah. He's like so careful and so like mindful of his privilege and like teaches that to his children constantly. So. That balances it out a little bit for me. Yeah, and also the fact that it is like it was Decent a guy. story written by a woman in a time where, like, you know, they just weren't yeah, taking women the woman. That's crazy. very seriously either. So, <laughs> yeah, but I learned something today, and I'm happy I did. <laughs> well, we killed the mockingbird. Phil, we shut it right out the sky. We've been so we got kicked off another jury <laughs> for shooting bird when we should have been paying attention to the case. <laughs> yeah. God damn it! We completely misunderstood the movie. Well, we've been a little too serious, I think, the last couple of weeks. You know, it's time to lighten mm. up the mood a little bit as we polish off our courtroom portion of the arc. So, over the next two weeks, to we'll be ultimate. having a little bit more of a laugh. And the ah. first of these more comical approaches to courtroom films is the film that I think Phil drops, you know, the name of like way too much on this podcast. Like, before we even got into the courtroom thing, I'm sure you brought this film up so much. What is yeah, it, Phil? It's one of, <laughs> one of the greatest films ever made. My Cousin Vinny. Of course. Do you think we're going to do courtroom films without yeah. doing My Cousin Vinny? You know, I was going to ask you last week, like, what was your some of your, like, favorite courtroom films without you, like, you know, spoiling the rest of, like, what we're, like, talking about. Yeah. See, it's p- particularly since that you... Like you, you've talked about how much you like courtroom films and stuff. I so I was like, oh, movie. like give me, give me some of your faves. And uh, then I realized, like, oh, I can't do that. Like, you know, I just save it. I'll save it. And now that we've got all but one out of the way, uh, what, what are some of your other favorite courtroom films? Mm, I mean, yeah, we've done, we're doing, we've done a couple. I mean, Twelve Angry Men, and of course. Uh, we're about to do my cousin Vinny. Primal Fear, that was good. Yeah, Julian and I actually like went through a big like, and that was probably kind of almost like what inspired like the way the war season like last year was inspired by like me going through Christmas time, going through all these like fucking films. Like I did the same thing, whereas I was watching all these crime films, and then I got into courtroom films uh, like around Christmas last year, which inspired this whole season. And we watched Cr- Primal Fear. It's sleepers. <laughs> Dude, sleepers. Thank you. It's a good one. Uh, yeah, sleepers. It's amazing. Miracle um, on 34th one... Street. <laughs> sure. I've not, um, I don't think we're doing it. We're not doing it anymore, but Devil's Advocate is actually really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, we were talking um, about doing it, but yeah. The the underrated one, Lincoln Lawyer. Lincoln Lawyer. Very, yeah. very good. The um, McConaughey one, not the fucking whatever TV show mm. now. We did a good one like a couple of years ago. Very classic one. Okay. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> Philadelphia is so depressing yeah. though, that I just don't <laughs> like thinking about it. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I haven't seen like a lot of big ones, like a few good men. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Hurricane is a good one. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, but again, it's more. I mean, it's them building the case. It's a bit of I a. Really it's a bit of a prison one as well. Exactly. I really want to see the Rainmaker. Mm. Um, the Kenneth Coppola. JFK is a good one, but yeah. for kind of different reasons. But in terms of just like in terms of just like people pointing to things, yeah, and like saying back. Oh, Aaron, Aaron Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, one. I had that on the list of like some decent ones. Um, there's also I am Sam. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Um, you know, uh, I'm admitted to saying I should say the other one, but I haven't seen the other one. Marriage Story is very good. Yeah. But I assume Kramer versus Kramer is probably better. Oh, uh, Kramer versus Kramer is like a brilliant movie. It's really good. Exactly. I've just not seen that. I need to see that. Yeah. Um, I got a good top tier sleeper pick for you. Go for it. The People versus Larry Flint. Like it's That's one of those one. that like yeah, you don't think no one's gonna film, fucking talk about that one. But that one's like fucking great, dude. Top That's tier. Great really fucking good courtroom film yeah that's a good one that's a good good show um did um that one i'd be i know my brother would be annoyed if i didn't mention it because he's been telling me to watch it but i've never seen it. but apparently it's been and it's robert duvall just a good full circle. the judge no oh, apparently okay. it's really really good with uh robert downey jr and the judge um but i also watch a lot of judge judy yeah. So that's my favorite courtroom show, <laughs> Flash film. I just love procedural drama. Yeah. Big fan. I've never seen Law and Order. So do that what you will. Is that mostly catching the cops? But I thought that gimmick when they did both. Well, yeah, there's like numerous versions of Law and Order as well. So there's like, you know. Oh, yeah, like SVU. SVU. Law and Order. Vice Squad. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like CSI, which is basically Law and Order, but not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the tagline. Yeah. All those shows are the same. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen out there, if you're listening to this, if you have some good courtroom films that you like that we haven't talked about, um, send them our way. You know where to hit us up. It's the PCC podcast. So twitter and instagram you can hit us up on patreon patreon.com forward slash pcc podcast we'll get it i can't believe we lasted this long i am fucking beat uh yeah i feel disgusting actually i don't know maybe i did have covid it's like it's almost <laughs> that same thing of like when when uh, i was feeling great <laughs> we recorded that uh <laughs> it's funny too because it was during the middle of anderson versus anderson apparently our greatest arc uh, yeah, 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 I remember. <laughs> I had COVID, and we were doing uh, what, what was it? Uh, Life Aquatic, and I was just like, as the episode went on, I was just like, oh my god, I was like sweating, and you were just like, dude, are you okay? You were just losing it. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, no. I felt. I was like, yeah, let's do this. This is going to be a great idea. I have nothing to do. And it was like, no, don't, don't do it. I love this. <laughs> but yeah, I feel horrible now. Uh, anyway. We did it. We did it. So we'll be back we next can, week. With we can rest now. My cousin Vinny. Jo- my cousin Vinny, followed by I am Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's clearly what we're doing after I am Sam. Yeah, just like oh, legally blonde. Legally blonde. Hell yeah, great movie.
Go watch that. What is it like? The bend and snap. Bend. It's that's snap. the only bit I fucking bend hate in that movie. Snap. Bend. That's so stupid. It's so empowering, Phil. It's so no, empowering. It no, I bet it you. It I bet you. The movie stopped to become a musical. Motherfucker. You know I, I hate this. I bet if Dude, you, you just bend and snap right now, you're gonna numbers. be fucking miraculously cured because you're gonna feel a hundred percent. My arse will fall out <laughs> if I do that. <laughs>